Good morning, everybody. It's Charlie Fink and Ted Shilowitz with a special episode of This Week in XR. Today is Friday, June 17th, and we're here talking to the co-founders of a new startup called Bluminum One. Um, they are celebrities of sorts, uh, Peter Vesnes, uh, who is well-known in crypto circles, and Neil Stevenson, the famous novelist, uh, his most recent book, Termination Shock, but he is most famous in our very nerdy XR circles as the writer of 1992 novel, Snow Crash, uh, which predicted, among other things, the metaverse. Uh, welcome, Neil. Welcome, Peter. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, talk. Let's talk about Lumina One. Lamina One. Lamina One, excuse me. Yeah, that, it's okay. So close. Um, I like Lumina One though too. We might rebrand. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, the um, uh, well, there's obviously been a lot of uh, ferment uh, in the last year, particularly mm -hmm. around the idea of the metaverse, and so um, the uh, there's different ideas on how to make that happen. Um, uh, I am interested in seeing if we can lay down some economic infrastructure that it, that would make it worth people's while to actually contribute uh, to such a metaverse. And um, so the purpose of Lamina One is to do that using a new so-called layer one blockchain, um, which um, will mean nothing to people who don't follow crypto stuff, but- It's like uh, Ethereum, right? Is a layer yeah, one. Exactly. Yeah, Peter could maybe speak to that better than than I can. But yeah. So Charlie, to, to just to back up a step, and I always I always do this like, okay, let's back up a step and let's go high level. So Neil and I know each other pretty well. We're friends. We talk. Uh, we have a mutual connection, of course, with all of us with our friend Roni. Um, I think it's on your on your advisory board or on your on your board. I think um, the the official term is Jedi Council. There you go. So, yeah. um, so we're we are are all friends. We know each other well. Neil and I talk on a pretty regular basis and understand each other's worlds. And I've had very interesting conversations just about the terminology uh, mm. in Snow Crash and what a fervor it has created as the word of the the word of the year, perhaps, or or the word of the decade. Oh, probably, in, probably. Uh, and and maybe let's start there, and then how you're taking the fervor around the terminology of what Web3 really is with your word, the metaverse that you created in Snow Crash and what you guys uh, are trying to accomplish at a high level. And then we can start drilling down into some of the, the blockchain and crypto and, and the touch points of it. But maybe give us the philosophy first uh, of what you want to achieve and why you as an author and a creator are taking your creation and trying to build it into something real. Sure, um, basically, I would like to say to see millions or even billions of people um, using the metaverse. And that's not going to happen unless when they go there, they have experiences that they enjoy. So really, it boils down to um, creating such experiences. And obviously, everyone likes different stuff. So there has to be a range of those <clears throat> experiences. It's not just one thing. But um, the people who are good at creating enjoyable experiences in three-dimensional environments um, are people who make video games today. Uh, and increasingly, people who work in uh, the, the motion picture and television industry and who are using game engine technology and the game engine tool chain to make uh, experiences there. 
Um, so, um, so those people by and large have jobs. And, um, and so if we're gonna get them to, um, uh, to, to use their talents uh, to make experiences that will draw people to a metaverse environment, we've gotta lay down the economic rails that are needed to see to it that if they succeed and make things people like uh, that, um, that they'll get paid. Um, so it starts with the economy. It starts with, um, with, with setting up value chains that work and that, um, that move money from the eyeballs, the people who are actually having these experiences um, to the, the very talented and, and, um, and creative people um, who, who are responsible for making those experiences. So we use the term the creator economy. Would you guys say that you're diving in to this concept of the creator economy and trying to allow people to monetize on their work with less layers and less infrastructure and less people trying to pull those dollars out of their pockets? Is that a correct, a correct um, statement? For sure. And, and we think that um, uh, when, when we talk about the, the crypto part of this, the, the blockchain and all that, that means a lot of things, um, but, um, but one of the most interesting things about it is, is smart contracts and the ability to set up pretty efficient ways of routing um, payments uh, among different participants uh, in a set of relationships. Um, so, um, so in a nutshell, uh, we wanna create a, a, a chain that is, is uh, engineered from the ground up to support that creator economy. So you're, you're planning on, correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong, and maybe this is more directed to Peter, you're planning on launching a token and you will have that inside, but it's going to be your own, um, it's, it's gonna be your own underpinnings. It's not going to be running on Ethereum or Solana or Cordana or any of the other, Polkadot or any of the other it's, sort of- It's, a new, it's a new blockchain. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, I can maybe talk to that a little bit. Yeah, it'll it'll lamina is going to be and already is on that list you just made. It'll it's one of those. So the <clears throat> um, can you buy it today? Is it is it? No, 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 no. And and um, actually, uh, the, you know, this is a forward looking statement, so discount it appropriately. But we we actually mostly hope to give it away to creators rather than sell it. So I I think mm -hmm. our our intent is is not to run a giant kind of public public offering or something like that. And we're still figuring out figuring out the details there. They um, what one thing I wanted to say about the economy and the creator economy. You know, Neil's like, yep, we're all in on the creator economy, and I think that's that's true my experience from the sort of earliest days of Bitcoin is there's this kind of this tantalizing possibility crypto holds out for like a, a totally new economic system. You know, um, Bitcoiners were not all in a company together. Ethereum wasn't as, wasn't either. There's this like very different kind of human organization that, that happened that oh, people had a lot of different ways to participate economically and, and, carve out their space, but also still kind of pull together on these, the, on these underlying tokens on these chains. So, so I actually think of what we're doing is like, you know, ideally if we're successful making sort of a new way for a creator, for the creator economy to be functional, you know, um, we look now kind of Neil is saying we've got video game industry, which is like largely economically sort of a mix of tech industry and like the maybe the studio system or something like this. And then we've got, and you guys know way more than I do about the studio, the studio system economics. But I think there's a, 
when you have a when we have a chain with a full tech ecosystem and a full tech stack built on it, there's like there are a lot of new possibilities. Like we have you have distribution just naturally in that in that chain. You've got you you've got kind of like a full stack of 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 things from creation all the way out to the public. So I'm I think you know our this is an ambitious goal, but the ambitious goal will be to really to rework informed by the successes of crypto, the failures of crypto and the successes of the studio systems and tech systems, see if we can get something new and that's that's better for people. I think that the thing that's really interesting and, and the most sparky is you touched on the fact that your goal set, your ethical goal is not to largely charge for the tokenization of this, to, for the purchase of this, but to actually make it an incentive for the creators that are building all kinds of interesting things across this broad terminology that's used in multiple different ways already called the metaverse and allow them to have ownership of what they build and then monetize on it. So there's a touch of the kind of earn to play gaming moments of this, which have gone through all kinds of positives and then some negatives when we talk First. about the infinity thing. So you may want to touch on that a little bit to get people from a confidence standpoint, how you're approaching this a little differently than that. That's probably an interesting sparky subject. Yeah, I just, I just want to add to that in a creator economy, of course, you've got to have the ability to convert um, the tokens that you earn or create into fiat currency. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, that's right. I mean, I'm actually like this part to me doesn't maybe feel super complicated. Like when I started in Bitcoin, here's how you got Bitcoin. I turned on my laptop. I download the client. It said, wait four hours, turn on mining, wait four hours and you'll get 50 Bitcoins. Okay. Now today, even today, 50 Bitcoins is like a, a million dollars. At the time, it didn't even have a price. It was like, cool. I have 50 Bitcoins. I guess I'll turn my laptop off now and figure out what I want to do with those later. But but the, the flip side of that for all the other network participants was like, I threw a little bit of resources in, like my computer helped secure the network briefly for this 10 minute chunk of the block that it got. And um that's more like we have with smart contracts and, and I mean, there's been 15, 13 years of innovation since then. So there are other ways to participate than just like timestamping a block. There's, there's making the content, bringing the people, building the businesses, creating the venture funds that support it. And, um, you know, Charlie, to your point, of course, like a lot of that has to tie back to the economy that like landlords take rent in and mortgage companies take pay mortgage payments in. But in my mind, that in that instinct of like, hey, come join us, come build this, we'll build it together. And uh, it, we can sort of like lay out the rails for that and the direction that we think should have some good economic outcome. And then creative people can kind of be creative on their side. That's the dream. And utopia, call it utopian if you want, but that's that's the goal. Uh, Neil. Oh, go ahead. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you if you had a comment on that topic because I was going to switch gears a little bit. No, let's let's go ahead. Um, so I, I was going to address this to you because you know, you know, although the definition inside of Snow Crash of of the metaverse is not a very complicated one, um, which of course suited your purposes <laughs> as novelist as you wrote the book, but it seemed to me that the metaverse, as you described it, um, also connect contained a digital twin of the physical world, allowing one to be present um, anywhere else through an avatar. 
Um, is that how, you know, and so, so that's number one, just laying that out for those who haven't read the book recently, because that's something I certainly point out when, when we're talking about the metaverse in anybody's definition, it, it has to contain the physical world. Otherwise it's, it's still the internet, but in a lot of the press and, and maybe it's just us making up things that sound good to get clicks. Um, in much of the press, people have said, oh, well, Neil is taking his vision and making it real. But that sounds like more of a clickbait headline than what really is going on here. So the in the to, to talk specifically about what's in the book, um, there's, there's kind of two things actually. There is the, the metaverse, which is um, completely what we would call VR, right? So it's, um, it's uh, not pegged to where you are in the real world. Uh, and then we have a whole separate kind of category of applications um, and activities that kind of, we see that in, in the form of people called gargoyles. So uh, they're, they're people who are essentially doing what we would call AR. They're, they're walking around in the, the real world, but they're wearing augmented reality headsets. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> so, um, this gets us into uh, you know the idea of digital twins, um, and that that can mean a few things. It it can mean um, that they those can be tied to um, specific locations, so that if I'm walking down a street um, and I've got my AR system on, I can see um, <clears throat> I can see. Um, overlays or uh, fictitious content that's in some sense placed in and interacting with the, the physical world. Um, <clears throat> the, um, and that's the kind of thing that I was working on at, at, at Magic Leap. Um, this, I, I, I think any of the above can be supported and will be supported um, by the, the economic structures that we're trying to put into place. Um, but I imagine that the, um, the initial emphasis for most content creators um, is gonna be on the, the VR uh, as opposed to AR content. And that's just for the simple reason that, um, that we have that now. We've got, anytime you play a video game, you, you may not be wearing goggles. You're probably not wearing goggles. You're probably looking at a two-dimensional pane of glass with pixels on it. But we've all learned by playing games how to navigate around 3D environments that are presented to us in video games. And it works pretty damn well. I mean, we've got hardware that's sensationally powerful uh, for, for doing that. Uh, we've all learned, you know, how to use the WASD keys on our keyboard and our mouse to navigate around those worlds. And there's a huge number of, of creators in the game economy who are comfortable with um, making exactly that kind of experience. Um, so I think, and I can tell you from working at, at Magic Leap that the AR stuff, while it's incredibly fascinating, um, <clears throat> is, um, is harder. Yeah. It is harder. Uh, and so um, so my, my prediction is just from a point of view of what the market wants and what content creators are currently equipped to deliver, we're going to see more VR type stuff at first and that most of that will be delivered not through goggles, but just through 
the traditional um, mm. pane of glass that, that you're staring at right, right so now. So this is already this multi, multi-billion dollar business of spatial gaming that moves onto the Z-axis, right? Like yeah. we'll refer to something like Grand Theft Auto, which could be in and of itself considered a metaverse because it is a world upon a world upon a world that players play in. Minecraft is a less violent version of that, I'm yeah. example. The yeah. majority- Creepers are scary, actually. Creepers are really scary. Yeah, they can all be very scary, right? <laughs> but the majority of those people are playing on traditional screens with a spatial sense. They understand that we're moving into a 3D world. So it sounds like, Neil, you still have a pretty strong belief and are pretty still bullish on these advanced devices that over time get more and more sophisticated and eventually start to find a pseudo replacement to our traditional screen, just like our mobile pocket computer, which we call a smartphone, found a replacement zone and then actually became the dominant force, right? You still see that as a as a trajectory, a, a longer term trajectory? For sure. It's just, uh, it's not where we are today. Right. And um, I mean, tech, you know, technology is funny, right? It's very path dependent. And so, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, I, you know, 30 years ago in Snow Crash, it was all about goggles. Uh, but, um, you know, what we've got is that I sit here with my keyboard, which was designed in the Victorian era. Yeah for controlling mechanical devices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I, I put my fingers on the, the WASD keys uh, and, um, and so I'm controlling this three-dimensional environment through a steampunk interface and, and billions of people know how to do that. Um, so that's you know, where you start. It's yeah. a really interesting point because when you think about the evolution of this device, right? Yeah and the IBM uh, park, and then into the Steve Jobs moment, this might've been the beginnings of the metaverse, right? Because the idea of spatially navigating inside that two-dimensional plane of pixels on your Mac SE back in the day uh, was, well, and like, there's a little history, (laughs) you know, there's the beginning. There it is, quality models from the 80s. That's kind of interesting, right? Uh, To think about it from from that lens of how did this all start? And it started from navigation, right? And now we're looking at extraordinary advanced navigation and you guys with this new concept are looking to apply this creator navigation economy uh, into this world of allowing it to be tokenized, but tokenized in a different way, it sounds like, than just pure capitalism, right? And pure speculation, which I think is really interesting. I have a question for Neil actually. On, um, like, you know, I can imagine getting pretty comfortable with quality AR goggles for day-to-day work. VR for me is like a fun escape, but it's fundamentally an escape. Like I'm not a big, you know, I, I actually, I, I like to box with in the VR goggles. I like to play Beat Saber. There's, you know, it's actually really fun to play Minecraft in VR goggles because you have the sense of height you don't get on a 2D screen. You're like, oh my God, everything's so tall. I can't believe it. Um, but um, but I could imagine like in my workday wanting AR goggles, either to cut out distractions, like the Leap technology lets you block stuff off or, or get like some passive stuff. Do you think, do you like, Neil, do you, I mean, you probably spent so much time thinking about this. Like, do you see a kind of inflection point curve for some of that tech at some point, like the, the phone style, or do you think it's always going to be more like the VR goggles, which for, for most- me, it's all about, it's all about content. Again, it's like yeah. what's there that makes you want to do it. So yeah. uh, that's, you know, um, and, and that's, um, uh, you know, as I said, it's just, it's fascinating and, and exciting, but, but really hard to build yeah. content that, uh, that is, that knows about 
the uh, the physical world that's around you and is responsive to it in a in a meaningful way. Um, but the, the hardware is getting closer for sure. The Magic Leap 2, which came out, was sort of released mm -hmm. just a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, seems a to, bunch of awards, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it seems yeah. to be. I think it was it was the talk of AWE this year. It was, uh, you know, sort of a, I think a new way to think about Magic Leap and the possibilities for the device. I'm like, Roni, how can I get one? It's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> May not be the guy to call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a solid evolutionary step forward, as and yes. Neil, you know as well. You know, field of view is always the challenge with mixed right. reality devices, and now they're starting to beat that. Yeah. Um, form factor will continue to get better and get more nimble over time. But the biggest thing was, to your point, the visual experience needs to actually be suitable and better than something you would do on a two-dimensional screen. And now we're starting to see that starting to happen, right? Mm. With the the, the stuff that's that's happening on the technological front. And it's not just Magic Leap, right? You're gonna have a whole crop of different devices that are really understanding that the human equation needs to have a pretty strong vertical field of view and a moderately strong horizontal, horizontal field of view to feel like they're not watching this little cutout hole of what mixed reality is gonna look like. And the Magic Leap 2 is really, I think, the first to bring that promise to life, which then leads us you know, into all these things that you guys are trying to do to build an economy around these devices. Definitely. So if, if I might, um, uh, Peter and Neil, let me try and sum up my understanding of what we've been talking about to date uh, or throughout our, our call. You, you wanna create this um, economy um, and have it adopted by a wide range of companies, uh, sort of probably similar in a way that everybody will adopt an avatar system of some kind, whether it's a Ready Player Me or the system offered by Meta. So there'll be some common way. So you're thinking that those are both sort of APIs that fit into a stack of technology in a game engine that would sort of make, uh, create a de facto standard? Um, well, yeah, so we have, we have sort of a whole tech stack we want to build and Mostly we wanna give it away. Like we think the way that crypto economics work, we're gonna be able to give it away and in, a, in an economically sustainable way, keep building and supporting it. So yeah, there'll be, there's a, there'll be a dev kit. Uh, it'll tie into some major game engines you've heard of. What is the first thing you'll do with that dev kit? You'll, you'll be able to be like um, host this virtual world online with like through Lamina one render nodes. I'd like, I'd like someone to run the servers for this, for this multiplayer thing. You'll be able to mark objects as of digital objects with provenance, something that could be traded, bought, sold, keep their own history. And anyone who's using this payment system can recognize them. Yeah, that's right. So then, yeah, so you'll you'll have the ability to, to be like, this is the state, this is the stuff I want to store on the blockchain for everybody. Um, you'll be able to say, I'd like to build, pull out and create my own little pocket metaverse. Could be really small, like a, a basement. Could be really giant, like a whole virtual world. And you'll be able to tap into the other resource providers, like cloud renderers, physics providers, markets for you know digital object trading, NFT style stuff. All of that you'll you'll be able to kind of like hook into. Meanwhile, we'll have people building that stuff out. These you know the financial services, the rendering services, and all that, and they'll be able to meet on the chain. So, but our our goal for the the creative side, what Neil's talking about, is like you'll if you want to work in Unreal, you work in Unreal. 
And then you just a little bit like if you've ever played with Unreal, you can be like, this is a destructible object or this, uh, you know, you'll be like, this is an object that should be tradable. You know, this is a class of objects that should should be should be out and 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 so on. And so those kind of that's like our that's like our first our, our first launch plan is a product kind of like that. Just click, click, click. And it's out on Lamina One. Um, and people can use it and start getting some of those benefits. So you say launch plan. Can we drill down into that a little bit, at least as much as you know at this point? <laughs> you sound like one of our investors. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am often accused of taking some of my bad habits as an executive and, and dragging them into my current profession. Boss me, Charlie. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you want to? What do you want to know? No, no. I'm just. Uh, you. You mentioned launch, so I'm thinking. Well, this yeah. is what you're describing could take a really long time to develop and and market. So I'm just thinking about what your launch yeah horizon a year three years I, I don't know yeah good question I mean um the so we have we have like we have like three or four streams going right now at the company there's there's capital formation just again talking to investors figuring out who wants to get on this crazy train with us who believes in what Neil's doing and what we're doing um then there's there's the spatial side which which we I was just kind of talking about a little bit which is like What's the very first thing you're going to be able to do? Um, there's the blockchain side, which is like this, you know, this kind of the server ver what supports the things we want to do. Um, so on the blockchain side, we're hoping to have test slash beta net up this fall. People can play with it. It won't be done. It won't be final, but they'll be able to start kind of mucking around with it. Um, uh, the dev kit, I like. I can. I'm. I can. Uh, um, what's the word, imitate a blockchain CTO, but I'm not one. And we're still sort of finalizing our recruiting team there. I cannot pretend to be a spatial CTO. So I, you know, I will say my goals would be like really very simple to start. Like, you know, just, just that, that dev kit could expand over time, but philosophically I like to build on success. So I'd rather really like narrow the scope, build something out. We also have first party IP, which is more Neil's world, like Neil's revealed on stage even to me last week he's thinking about some new content and i was like oh my god oh my god what is it so um that's gonna that's i neil could maybe talk about about that side uh what he's making he's oh, like, you're, nah. you're muted charlie i'd love to hear about that neil yeah well the um uh i mean just so big picture first um it's pretty <clears throat> It's a pretty common kind of structure in in games uh, that um, you'll have a big company like an Epic or a Valve that is making a platform uh, that they're hoping is going to be used by zillions of third party users, mm -hmm. uh, be it a game engine or a store or you know all of the above, um, and um, at the same time uh, have in-house first-party content that serves different purposes. I mean, in the case of, of Epic uh, with Fortnite, it makes a lot of money. Um, in, in the case of, say, Half-Life, uh, Alex uh, at, at Valve, uh, I don't know what the financials are, but it's, it's a flagship product that shows everything that their uh, VR system is, is capable of doing. So it, it, it plays a few roles. It's dog fooding your own technology. It's, it's having in-house people who can talk to the engineers and say, 
we need this feature. Yeah. This feature doesn't work. Here's a new idea for something we'd like to add. Um, and um, um, so we're going to have first party content uh, in, in this. And uh, um, can I be the creatively to make up that content, Neil? No. no. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that you guys are, are going down this part of this particular rabbit hole of the many rabbit holes, because as you're talking, I'm thinking you made reference points to all the things that were in my brain that start to look at the utopian ideals of, of, of what you're doing and what many of the others are doing around using blockchain infrastructure and then putting a metaverse slash web three layer on top of all that for the visual and creator uh, components of it. But also thinking about all those companies you just touched on. So, you know, in let's, let's put it through the lens of fiat currency, right? In a fiat world, right? Which mm -hmm. is like the dollars that governments use and real money that we all have in our pocket as opposed to crypto. Um, conceptually, the idea of Epic is doing this in their own bespoke way. And you just mentioned Fortnite as a giant economic engine for Epic. Unity, and I believe you've got, uh, in addition to our friend Roni, you've got our friend Tony Parisi, who was ex-Unity working with you on these you know, wonderful aspirations of what you're doing. They have their own economic engine and their own creator economy that already works within the fiat currency world. You mentioned Valve and the other part of that component is Steam, which is effectively the largest sort of open gaming um, economy in the world where people can put up things on that platform and see if they catch and see if they can make money. And many people do generate money, but it's all taken through the lens of the normal dollar economy, right? Um, so how do you guys evolve this, evolve all those things? Because it seems like you want to work with all of them and you want to be tied to all of them in some fashion, but you want to connect the dots in a new way. Am I teeing that up in a way that you can take this and run with it a little bit and talk about it? Yeah, I mean, I would say to, to be absolutely clear that, um, that, that uh, these, uh, these companies all for, for different reasons are keeping crypto stuff at, our, at arm's length. Um, and, um, and, and we're not claiming otherwise. Um, so, um, you know, uh, we, we do think that maybe creates an opportunity um, to, to try to experiment um, with, uh, with some, some crypto-based alternatives in the, the, the negative space that is thereby created. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, one of the things about these platforms, I mean, we could run through. So what Valve takes 30%, right? Um, uh, Meta quite, I'm even calling it Meta, I'll call it Facebook. Facebook quite famously <laughs> takes like 46% or some crazy number on the Oculus. Um, Sweeney's been really public talking about how those are not those are not good numbers, right? So he's kind of been in court and in public being like, oh, it could be low, it could be lower. Um, of course, he takes 100% on, on digital goods in Fortnite, which is a which is a huge thing, right? So um, I, I would say like, we, we think probably the right numbers a lot lower. Um, and one of the things about this sort of permissionless um, blockchain system is that actually everybody's gonna be able to, there's gonna be a free market. So like we talk render nodes, what does it really cost to provide in the, you know, the platform, the technology, the backup? I, I don't exactly know, but I do know that we're going to make a place for people who are providing that to compete on, on price. And then what's nice about crypto is if you want to 
see if that ends up being valuable. You can you can just be part of the chain. You can hold the chain token, and and we'll all float together. We can we'll be the epic or the valve or whatever together on on what the results results are for that. So so it is so yeah I, we are like totally informed by those platforms, but we don't want to be appropriative with the value there. I think we want to kind of like go on a ride together and have everybody figure out together when you you know were you to squeeze that down from forty six percent to whatever the actual costs are. The, the, where should the rest of the money go? It could go to everybody participating in the chain. And, and that, that's the goal. Do you see a unifying navigation between the different virtual worlds that you want to put on uh, this payment on rail system? <laughs> you should come to the product meetings. I mean, well, you know, but the first a, place I stuck out question. was the first place <laughs> that Neil showed me in VR. <laughs> But when you say navigation, do you mean actually moving through a, a virtual space or using well, it? No, I mean, I'm talking about the metaphor for it. Yeah. You know, like in the book, there was this endless boulevard. Oh, yeah. The street, yeah. So, and actually, Ready Player One, at least the movie really illustrates that, right? Everybody shares a spawn point and then jumps through a portal. Yeah. I think as a practical matter, it's going to be somewhat more... Um, compartmentalized and that's partly for just game engine reasons there's more than one game engine and um, you know to move fluidly from one to the other all the time is uh you know not not a thing that is going to be be happening soon um boiling the ocean style yeah yeah i mean <laughs> i mean to, to put it another way we would like to go to market and have things running before before that can be achieved so and those grandkids are working yeah. Um, so um, um, the uh, and but there's other reasons as well that a more uh, sort of modular um, compartmentalized architecture may be what we want um, for for a metaverse. And, you know, we could go really deep on that, but it has to do with how different people want to um, create their own experiences. Um, you know, if I'm, for example, uh, making a branded experience for a, a fashion manufacturer or somebody like that, you know, then I want to have a, a, a sort of a cell wall, if you will, that separates what I'm doing from from the the, the random noise outside. Um, and um, it's just a lot easier for devs to build a contained experience with a known boundary and uh, then it is for them to sit there trying to anticipate every possible interaction that might happen with the neighbors. I mean, there's like whole jobs in Hollywood just as colorists, right? Just literally matching. So, yeah, so I, I think I, I agree. I think we, partly because the chains, chains are fundamentally permissionless. You do what you want. And so I think how this is gonna work out is you're gonna do whatever you want in your space. And then there's gonna be some shared connectivity, some places where you might, inject your space or or share but they're going to be they're going to be rules for those spaces and those rules will probably vary i think that that's how i'm i'm imagining so, this right now as you guys are talking i'm really interested in your vision of your because you know I, I work on the visual side right i work for a big movie studio a big entertainment company as as neil and i know and we talk about a lot of those things <clears throat> i'm very interested in your visual sensibility and as you're talking i'm thinking about how does this differ from things that have existed in the precursors of the metaverse in various ways, things like Second Life, like Star Citizen, like Fortnite that you mentioned, 
Um, other things that we're largely calling the metaverse today or the beginnings of the metaverse, what, and maybe this is, well, probably for both of you, but maybe Neil first. No, so I got fired from creative. This is all Neil. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm giving the, you know, the crypto guy his chance to But do you have a sense yet, or maybe this is just still cultivating of how you visualize how you're going to differentiate from say a second life or a star citizen as, as a, just a precursor example. So art direction, you know, is, is everything. Uh, and, you know, as you know, uh, every, um, every movie, every TV show, every video game begins with um, some concept of what it's going to look like, how it's going to be different from others in the space. And uh, in some cases, it's pretty subliminal, like um, the, uh, a lot of moviegoers probably aren't aware that you know, there are colorists who've color matched every single frame of every single shot to make it all have a particular effect. In other cases, it's pretty, it's pretty in your face. The, um, um, we're gonna see, and we wanna see kind of what I might call enthusiast um, communities uh, in, in metaverse because people wanna go out there and they wanna build stuff. Um, and um, we're also going to see um, other areas that um, uh, have been very carefully crafted to have a particular look. Um, I've been playing, just to name one of many possible examples, I've been playing a video game called Valheim uh, that has a very strong, coherent art direction to it. It's a, it's a beautiful game. Uh, and people appreciate that beauty. They like that beauty. And creators like to have that control. You know, they, they want things to look a particular way. Even Fortnite, which is a mashup style game that brings together John Wick and Iron Man and, and all of that <clears throat> um, into one game, those uh, elements have all been kind of run through a certain style of art direction that makes them somewhat coherent, um, even though they came from completely different IP universes. Um, so our general, I, I think, approach here, which comes out of the ethos of, of crypto and open source and, and the internet is, is not to impose any top-down um, set of, of standards on what people are supposed to do and how it's supposed to look. Uh, it's going to be a bottom-up thing, uh, and um, and users are going to gravitate towards the style of experience uh, that they find most appealing. So, I, Charlie, I know we're probably getting close to the end of our of our dedicated time. Maybe we go over because you know these guys are quite fascinating to talk to. But I'll throw my final question. You probably have one too, um, Neil. From your perspective. What is most inspirational? What is exciting you about the metaverse as it stands today and all the people sort of finding their way to it? And what most terrifies you? What most uh, worries you about where things might be headed? Um, well, it's nice to end on a positive note. So I'll start with the, the I'll, I'll take that in reverse order. Um, the, um, you know, there's a line in Harry Potter says, never, <clears throat> never trust anything if you can't make out where it keeps its brain. Um, and I think on the internet, the equivalent is never 
trust any site or any experience that you're having if you can't make out how it's making money. Mm -hmm. Or there, there's even a, um, a, a law, I can't, I've forgotten who, who, who said this, but it's um, if, you're, if you're on a website or on a platform and you can't figure out what the product is, the product is you. Uh, um, yes, Steve Ballmer. So um, the, um, um, <clears throat> so that's going to exist, but um, the, uh, we're, I, I'm personally more comfortable um, with a, a scheme like you see on, on a store like Steam or, or the Epic store where um, um, you pay for things that you want. Um, and, and, and so the, the, the profit, the, the way that people make money is, is very much out in the open. It means you have to pay upfront for things, you know, which takes a bite out of your pocketbook and nobody likes that, but there's no kind of hidden um, machinations going on um, behind the scenes. Uh, so um, so uh, that's what we're aiming for. And, you know, the, uh, I, I guess in terms of what's exciting or what's positive, you know, the, the, the answer has to do for me with the maturation of the tool chain and the, the number of people who know how to use that tool chain. Um, so I'm not gonna say it's easy, like these game engines and <clears throat> programs like Blender and Maya <coughs> are big complicated programs that are hard to use, but they're incredibly powerful. And increasingly um, people do know how to use them. And increasingly the, uh, it's possible to get access to training, um, not by going to a seminar or paying for a class, but just looking at free videos on YouTube. So it's becoming a pretty democratic um, mm -hmm. uh, sort of space. Um, most of this stuff you can use for free, um, not all of it, but um, it's that democratization uh, and, and the, the globalization of, um, of, of creativity that I, I think creates an environment where it is, it's now for the first time possible to, 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 to see, our, see a path to, uh, to the creation of a metaverse. Um, I do have a final question, but I, we're, we're getting toward the end because I, it, you know, the things you're talking about bring to mind some of the things that are going on already. People can make uh, levels uh, with the game engine on v in VR chat using their uh, SDK or in Altspace. Uh, they give you an avatar system you can use, which, you know, uh, is a huge, huge undertaking if you have to build your own. Uh, and what they're missing is a payment system, right? Yeah. There is no economy in VR chat. You know, the people uploading levels are basically doing it for free hosting, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, is, is, if you build a big world can be really expensive for an individual, <laughs> Um, so I was just wondering if you had a point of view about that, whether you're going to start from scratch and people are going to be uploading levels. Um, do you have any thoughts about that as we wind down here? Yeah, I think we're going to be mostly what we're building is one layer above or below that or whatever, which is to say, yeah, it's a chain. So there will be fundamental payment rails baked in from the beginning. So, so VR chat or Altspace could potentially use your system in the future, yeah, and, and, and they'll helps. have they'll have like first party access if they want to have it monetized right. in some way or build an economy. 
they can do they can do that. So they're you know they could be using VR chat hosting and their avatars and leverage your payment system. Perhaps obviously depending on how they want to let people into their walled garden. But if they did, them, yeah. it, it could be sort of a uh, lamina enabled. Uh, well, if they wanted to instrument with art with the lamina token with the L one token, fine. If they want to make their own token, fine. If they want an NFT based or some other not fungible system no problem you know achievements all all those will be kind of baked into the tech stack for them to to tap and so we don't maybe we, on our first party side we'll have our own opinions about what the right thing to do is for a first party product but in the broader scheme yeah actually like let a thousand flowers bloom or you know i mean i think we want to see a lot of things so yeah um, well, that's a, that's a great place to end this podcast. This interview has been great. You guys have been very generous uh, with your time and your unique insights. So I, I think I learned a lot here. Um, and uh, I think I speak for Ted also in giving you guys, again, sincere thanks for making time for us. Uh, this is a special episode. Hopefully a lot of people will listen to it and uh, get some more information about what you guys are up to. And most of all, of course, we wish you success. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. Thanks for your time. All right, everybody, have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Thanks, you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.